0: heavenly father we come before you uh today this morning we just want to thank you i want to thank you personally for your graciousness and your mercy towards um us towards me uh, towards my family towards this church um because god we are um we're a mess Uh, we're sinners and um we don't just need saved eternally we need saved every moment of every day and um I was just thinking about things over the course of the last week and over the course last day of just how good you are and and how we don't deserve your grace and your mercy and and uh there are days that we just get very self-confident and self-righteous and then we end up just falling on our faces and just making a mess of things and God your love for us is just unimaginable and I'm so thankful to have a book like the Song of Solomon that we can look into and we can read. And just see how you feel towards us and how we ought to live as your bride and and the things that we can do to be more fruitful and to uh, bring you more honor and more glory. So I pray this morning that you would do that in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, that we take these things and that we would apply them, that it wouldn't be knowledge just to puff up our brains, but it would enlarge our hearts in order to do the work. So we do love you. We thank you once again for all that you do for us and the way that you care for us. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Song of Solomon Chapter Six, Chapter Six. So we've only got outside of this chapter two more to go, so we're gonna be finishing this out here really soon. um each chapter is just super unique. I was writing this chapter out again this week and just going through this, and man I'm just i'm I'm loving this. There's just some things here that God's really been teaching me and and you know even when I forget this stuff and i and I operate in my flesh again. And then he reminds me of what I read or what I wrote or what I studied out of this book. It's just so convicting. So I really hope this has been a benefit to you guys uh, in your life. And if not, um, I don't know, Uh, but I hope that it can be. So we're going to get into chapter six this morning. We're going to finish it out. All right. So chapter six, the bridegroom describes um, the lovely Shulamite. Um, So and this is really, really interesting. I love how he describes her. And we're going to get into some of those details um, and once again, thinking about that, this is something where we, I don't know, like, I i was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about the fact that um, I am not, like, I, I, I don't even deserve to be in the same room with God. I don't even deserve to be in his thoughts. I don't, like, him in my life is such an oxymoron, it's ridiculous. It's like donut holes. It really is. It is. It's, It's. see, it came back. It came back. See, there is an application here. So all things work together. Romans 8. Um, but it's just, it's, I think about that, and I just think about how, like, I just, I'm like, me and God, were like oil and water. We just, we don't mix. And I, I don't understand why God even spends time with me or desires to. Like, I just don't, I don't get it. Because I see myself, and even even on my best day, the attitudes that I have and the things that I think about and and the things that I don't do that I should be doing. And I just think about that. And and I, I need to think about that. Like, that's something in your life that you need to get into the habit of thinking about because it will keep you close to God. And standing in awe of His love towards you, His compassion towards you, His patience towards you, these are things that keep your relationship with Him alive. If you don't keep these things in mind, then what happens is Christianity just becomes just another thing that you participate in. It becomes like, I mean, with anything you can think of, like there are some years where you might be excited to start school. I know they might be rare, but especially when I'm talking about this time of year where you're ready to get out. But there's some things like with school, like you might start and you're excited about it, but eventually it just wears out. Or, you know, maybe another example would be like, you know, for camp, we've gone to Cedar Point like every stinking year. There is an element where Cedar Point has lost its excitement for me. I mean, there's still some stuff that's fun, but there's elements where it's lost, it's excitement, it's lost, it's thrill. And in any relationship, it can be like that. Because when you are interested in someone that you hadn't been before and they're interested in you, it can can incite feelings of infatuation that can make things seem very, very thrilling. But relationships are never, they never last on those things. They never last on those feelings, those emotions, nothing. It will always fizzle out. I mean, look at the people in your life or things that you've done in your life or the people that maybe you have dated or that you've liked or stopped liking or other people in the drama and all that nonsense that occurs in their lives. It doesn't last because it's not real. It's not real. It feels like it's real, but it's not. And I feel like that we as Christians, especially with the gospel, because the gospel is amazing. When we hear the gospel, we understand the gospel, we receive the gospel, it's exciting and it's thrilling, but your relationship with God is not based upon your emotions about the gospel. And I think sometimes on our day-to-day Christianity, this is what we do, and this is why we have good days and then bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, good years, bad years, because our relationship is based on those feelings, those emotions, that thrill that isn't always there. It's not that it can't be, because it can, but it's got to be seen from the right perspective. And so, chapters like this are ones that I need to keep in my mind because I need to remember how God sees me because God is consistent. That's what I love about God. God his, the consistency of God is just amazing. He is just one track. We are all over the place. We are up and down, inside out, left right. We're all over the board, but He is steady and He is consistent. And so days where I feel like, you know, I don't feel like walking with God today. I don't feel like doing what he tells me to do today. Or I do feel like doing what he tells me today. I do feel like being obedient. Like that doesn't exist with God. The way he feels about you is the way he feels about you forever. Always. And it doesn't stop and it doesn't change And I think sometimes we put the way we think about God upon him, and then that affects our relationship. Why would I want to walk with God? He's not going to want to walk with me because of who I am. You know what I mean? We do stuff like this all the time. When instead, that's not how he feels at all. He is madly in love with you. I mean, madly, deeply. I mean, can never be shaken or moved in love with you and I. And there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you, to make him think differently of you, to make him have a different opinion about you. There's nothing new that he can learn to be like, oh, well, this was a bad idea. Time to exit this relationship. It doesn't work like that with him. And I'm so thankful. Because he doesn't love us because of what we can benefit him. He loves us just because. And that love will never change, it will never stop, it will never end. It will always be there. It's the one thing that we can always count on and when I think about that and when I'm at my lowest and I think about that that helps me to get through whatever nonsense I'm causing in my life to move past it to keep walking with him regardless of how I feel or regardless of what's going on in my life because we are a very self-righteous people I think there are many days that we don't spend time with God because we made bad decisions Or we don't open up the Bible because we, you know, did something terrible. How can I open up my Bible when I did this against God? And we're not willing to make it right. I mean, this is what we do. We're stupid. Are you in this? This is what I do. I do this. Instead of realizing, no matter what you've done, he always cares about you. So there's never an excuse to not open up your Bible. There's never an excuse to not obey him. Like the moment you disobey... The next minute there's an opportunity to obey but for us we feel like we have to be like Roman Catholics where we have to have a period of penance and we have to feel bad for a certain number of hours or days before we can start walking with him again and that is absolutely wrong that is false absolutely wrong and we need to get this out of our minds because I'm thinking towards the summer the opportunities you guys have to walk with God this summer are unique preparing your hearts for the next school year which you don't even want to think about, but I'm going to remind you like crazy about it. And then thinking about summer camp with sacrifice and being able to really worship God properly. Some of these things are elements that we need to start thinking about. We need to really, really get this down. We really do. So chapter six, chapter six, we're going to read verses one through three and then stop there, talk about them, and then keep going. So, whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? My beloved has gone down into his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. So once again, we're going to take a similar devotional approach to this, is seeing, uh, to, continuing to see ourselves through Christ's eyes and a plea to return to him. So what I love about chapter 6 is that if you actually take verse 16, um, verse 16 gives you the context of these three verses here in chapter 6. So, chapter 5, verse 16, His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, oh daughters of Jerusalem. So, remember from last week we talked about how, um, and even the week before that, we talked about how the Shulamite bride, that she was talking to the daughters of Jerusalem, and she says here... Um, Where is it at? Verse 8 of chapter 5. I charge you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick of love. And then the daughters of Jerusalem reply in verse 9, and they say this. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that that, that, that thou dost so charge us? And then she describes him. And then, here in chapter 6, talking to the daughters of Jerusalem, this is their reply to that description of him. And now they say, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? So, first, they're like, Who is this guy, and why is he more important than any other guy? And she's like, Oh, let me tell you. Happy birthday to <laughs> you! All right, it's just the Andy. It's just the Andy. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. All right, and the confusion abounds. Okay, so anyway, where was I? All right, so <laughs> so you have the the description because the daughter of Jerusalem like, what's the big deal about him? Then she describes him, and then their response is okay, well, where is he? Because we want to find him with you. And see, this is how it should work in your life. This is exactly how it should work in your life when it comes to evangelism. Because you love God and he loves you. When you're trying to find him and you can't find him and you're talking to other people about him because you're you're talking about spiritual things, which, which is what we should be doing. I mean, we talk about all sorts of things. If we love God, we should be talking spiritual things. If you don't find yourself talking spiritual things, you probably have a very strong relationship with Him. But as you're talking about spiritual things and then you're describing God and you're talking about him, you're talking about who he is and what he's done in your life and and how he's changed your life and and the things that he's teaching you and the things he's stretching you and all these things, it should cause the other people in your life to say, I wanna find him with you. Show me. That's how it should work. Now, it's not always going to work out that way, but based on your testimony, your testimony about God should be so appealing, because he is appealing when you think about what he's done for you. Think about who he is and what he saved you from. Think about how there's no one else that can do that for you, and there's no other religion that can do that for any person on the planet. It is the most appealing message this world has ever heard. It's the only one that actually has hope that will make a difference in people's lives. So when you share how that has changed you, that should stir up inside of them that desire to know him and to get to know him and to spend time with him. And doctrinally speaking, this is really cool too because uh, really, you know, this, this bride is a picture of the church. And so as the church walks in fellowship with her Savior, the daughters of Jerusalem, which are who? Who are they? Who are the daughters of Jerusalem, the sons and daughters of Jerusalem? They are called the kings and queens of old. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, come on. Israelites, Jews. Remember, the Jews have rejected their Messiah. Yep, their Messiah is our Savior. So when we talk about our Savior who is also their Messiah. It should cause Jews, the people of Israel, God's people, the apple of God's eye, to want to know him. It's really interesting. That should be our testimony. That should be our testimony. And so after hearing his description from the bride, the daughter of Jerusalem desired to seek him along with her. And that is, that is absolutely true. Your testimony matters. It absolutely matters. And people should stop and listen because of how you live your life each day. They should. Because they should know that there's something different. If no one knows something's different, there's a problem. If they can't pick you out of a crowd as, yep, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, she's a Christian. If they can't do that, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You're not walking with God or you're not saved. And so you've got to work that out with the Lord. Number two, the bride responds to the daughters of Jerusalem. And we have verses two and three. My beloved has gone down into his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. So there's a lot here. But overall, I just wanted to point this out. The bride knows where the bridegroom dwells. She does. She knows where he is. Now, this is kind of interesting because like she knows where he is, but yet she's looking for him. Does that sound kind of odd to me? Uh, to you? I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that I think about it and I'm like, okay she knows where he is, but she's been looking for him. What's the deal with that? I think this is, speaks volumes to our life I think we really know what it's going to take to be right with God I think we really do, but we just don't do it that's what I think I think we actually know where God's found and we know it's required to walk with him, but a lot of us are just unwilling to do it we're very, very unwilling, because she knows I mean, take a look at this, go back to chapter 5 and verse 1 So here is Jesus, devotionally. He says, I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. So see, he even tells her where he's at. He tells her, this is where I'm at. Hey, I'm over here. God does this in our life all the time. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, oh beloved. And then take a look at chapter one, chapter one. Chapter 1, verse 7. So this is the first part where she's seeking him for the first time. And she says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? So her heart is already seeking him right Right from chapter 1. She knows where he's at. She asks the question, and then he responds in in verse 8. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. And then he continues. So... Basically, you know where people are feeding. Ask the people that are, are with me, and they will tell you where the, I'm at. And so then she finds him, and then here in chapter 5, he tells her where he's at, and then she's trying to look for him again, and then here she actually knows where he's at to begin with. So there's a great devotional application here, a great devotional application. And it goes in line with, you know where God's at. And here it is. The only way you can regain fellowship with the Lord when you've fallen out of fellowship with him, because you, can, you cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose your fellowship. It's not possible for you to become unsaved, but you can lose fellowship with God. Just the same way you can lose fellowship with your parents. I mean, you will always be their child, but you can lose fellowship with your parents because things may not be going all that well because there's tension between you. So the only way you can regain fellowship with the Lord is to go back to where you lost it and be zealous and repent you got to go back to where you lost it and practically speaking what that may mean for some of you is think back to the last time you were really walking with God that you really knew that you were in step with God that you were in tune with him that you were doing what he wants you to do that you were being obedient with all of your heart go back what were you doing what were you doing in that moment that's really how simple it is. What were you doing to cause yourself to be walking with God in that moment? Well, then go back to that moment and keep doing what you used to do. That's really it. It's very simple. Because I have known people and I have known students that have done incredible jobs early on in their life. And then things happen you know, bad choices in school, bad choices at home maybe getting too obsessed with sports or academics and you just lose sight of God. You lose sight. You lose focus. You start focusing on other things. You step out of fellowship with God and then it's, oh, well, it's not that bad. Well, I've got, well, you know, and then there's compromises, compromise, 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 compromise till you're at the point where I'm like, what? I used to walk with God. What happened? That's the progress that we do that that ends up happening when we, when we, it's almost like when you leave a path. It's almost like, Okay, like when we were supposed to go hiking, this would have been a great illustration. All right, so you go hiking, you go on the trail. There's some of you that are more adventurous than others, and you decide to wander off the trail. I'm sure some of you guys do that. I know Mark, you guys do that all the time. I mean, even at Stony Glen, you wander off. You're like, where are they? I don't know. Are they going to die? Probably, but they signed the form, so it's okay. So and they're safe, so they'll be in heaven. We'll see them there. We'll say, idiot. All right. So, <laughs> but you just wander off the trail, which can be very, very dangerous. But even like at Stony Glen, when you wander off the trail and we go down and we almost kill ourselves by the waterfall every year, the way you go back might differ, but eventually you come back to the path to get back to camp. Like we all come back to the steps, most of you. Some of you went up the hill this past year. So how can I bring this back in? Okay, when you get to the top of the hill, then there's that path. You know what I mean? Like there's always a place that you return to. There's always that, that place that you know. Like even when you venture off and you go somewhere else, when you come back, you come back to a place that you know. It's the same thing spiritually. Now, we're not supposed to go off the path. We're not supposed to go, as Proverbs talks about and Psalms talks about, the paths of destruction. We're not supposed to go off into those paths, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. And so what you need to do is you need to go back, retrace your steps and work your way back to the moment when you stepped off the path that headed you towards destruction. And then get back on that path and keep moving forward. That's what you need to do. And it doesn't have to be something that you have to wait five days for. It doesn't mean something you have to wait like a year for. Like I didn't walk with God for a year, so I need a year of restoration. No. Do it now. Go back now. Go back now to that spot and keep walking with him. This is what's missing in a lot of Christians' lives. And they need to remember this. They need to remember it. It's exactly what Jesus told the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2. It's what he told the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. It's exactly the same thing, and it's the same thing for us. There's no excuse to continue in disobedience. Absolutely none. Just because you disobeyed yesterday does not mean you have to disobey today and tomorrow. Never. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. I mean, God never laid that down. Well, because you screwed up yesterday or you screwed up right now, then you have to keep screwing up for the next five weeks in order to be right with me. No. Ridiculous. Stupid. And that's most Christians today. Ridiculous and stupid. We've got to get right with God, and we've got to be zealous about it, because God needs to be glorified in our life, and he's given you this moment today and now, and we need to do it. We need to do it. We've got to do it. If you don't, you're going to regret it. You will. And then, verses 4 through 9, the bridegroom describes his bride. Verses 4 through 9. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing, whereof every one beareth twins, and there is not one barren among them. As a piece of a pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her mother. Or choice one of her that bear her, the daughters saw her and blessed her. You had the queens and concubines and they praised her. Okay, so Jesus's definition of beautiful. So first off, in verse four, he says, "Beautiful as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem." So what this means is, and I'm just gonna put give you the guys the blanks, and then we can work through it. Orderly, magnificent, alive, active, secure, prosperous. So magnificent is your blank here. And the reason why this is the description or the definition of these particular phrases is because of this. Tirzah was the capital city of the northern <coughs> ten tribes of Israel. And then the capital city of Judah, which is Judah and Benjamin, the southern two tribes, was Jerusalem. So the two capital cities of the people of God. Now, how many of you have ever stepped foot into a large city such as new york or chicago or san francisco or paris or wherever anybody okay when you like i remember the first time that that i went into chicago you know what happened to me we're in the car and we're headed into chicago and i'm like what i mean it was amazing i have never seen anything like it i've never seen buildings like it i mean it is it is magnificent it is absolutely amazing Now, spend enough time in the city, and you'll find things that are not so magnificent and not so amazing. But on the onset, when you look at the city, I mean, it is, like, breathtaking. And that's how these cities in Jerusalem were. I mean, if you go back to the descriptions, during the time of Solomon, which, by the way, Tirzah at this time was not the ten northern tribes because they hadn't rebelled, because Solomon had to basically live his life, die, and then Rehoboam had to take over, and then you had the split. But Tirzah was a well-known city, and it became the capital city of the ten northern tribes. I mean, you're talking about like a capital city, like the place where that nation's reputation sits. You think about Jerusalem. The description of Jerusalem was... Magnificent. You think about the temple and the gold that was on the temple and how prosperous the city was and, and, and how, man, if you wanted to make money, if you wanted to be able to provide for your family, go to Jerusalem. I mean, it's the place to go. You'll be able to do it. There's plenty of work for you. There's, I mean, this would have been something that would have been absolutely magnificent and absolutely beautiful. So it was orderly. It was magnificent. It was alive and active. It was secure. It was prosperous. If you take a capital city of a nation, it's not going to last very long. The nation's not going to last very long pretty normal everyone knows about that and then terrible is an army with banners so this is interesting you're beautiful but terrible all right so thinking about terrible as an army with banners it really means to excite terror awe dread intimidation through power and strength so just because something we call it terrible it doesn't mean that it's bad that's the way we use it today but something that incites that terror that sense of awe and you think about that i mean the only thing I can think of of things that I can relate in my life is that I remember when we went up to um, that one air show up in Cleveland and you saw some of these Apache helicopters just one and you saw that thing and you're like oh my gosh that is amazing and some of the airplanes and stuff like that that come through I mean it inspires awe you're like okay, I'm, okay. there's someone flying that thing and they're like by my house I don't want to be around because <laughs> that is dangerous so you think about that it's a, it's a show of strength it's a show of power and that's how he sees her, that she is terrible as an army with banners. Back in the day, whenever they would have these banners and they would see who that army belonged to, it would incite fear inside of them. I mean, I thought about with, um, with Israel when they went up against the Philistines. It was the same thing, but opposite. You know, Israel should have incited terror into the Philistines, but it didn't work. It was the other way around. It was the complete other way around. Because of Goliath and the Philistines, they incited terror on the Israelites, and they were afraid to go fight. And that's the point. That's the point. And then hair as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. That's nourished and well-fed. We've already talked about that from chapter 4. In fact, it was chapter 4 and verse 1. Almost says the exact same thing. And then same thing for the teeth. There's a flock of sheep which go up from the washing, where everyone bear twins, and there's not one barren among them. That means healthy, fruitful, is your blank there. Fruitful, orderly. And that's taken from Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 2. And we've already talked about that in weeks past. And then thirdly, a piece of a pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. And that means minds that are spiritually focused, righteous, strong, and prosperous. And that's taken from Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 3. So this is interesting because when God repeats himself, you want to pay attention. And this kind of goes back to what I talked about at the very beginning. God already described the bride in chapter 4. And he then takes verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4 and then nestles them right in here in chapter 6. Why? Let me see if you can answer this. Why would God throw this in here and repeat it again? Any student may answer. What do you got? Luke, Luke. Maybe because he knows we don't do that about ourselves. Yes. absolutely we forget all the time we forget how god looks at us we forget how god sees us you and i forget how much he actually loves us i mean just we need to sit we need to think about god died for me he died he died for me and not only did he die but he was tortured and agonized for me. He didn't deserve it. He did it for me because he loved me. I mean, that changes things. We forget. We forget how he loves us and how he looks at us and how he cares for us and how deeply he's moved for us. We forget. We forget. And God has to repeat himself. And that's why the Bible is full of repetitions all over the place because you and I need reminded all the time that's what Peter said in his book as long as I'm in this body I'm going to put you in remembrance after I'm dead you're going to be put in remembrance because you need to remember we forget we forget we forget you know you've heard it said and and it's actually true that the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis they contain pretty much everything that is in the rest of the Bible it just repeats itself it's just from a different perspective and it's totally true I mean, the Gospels in Genesis, I mean, it is, I mean, we read Genesis chapter one, the Gospels in chapter one, the promise of a Messiah is in chapter three. I mean, the, the warnings of the Antichrist, you got the Tower of Babel, I mean, everything in the Bible is in Genesis chapter one through 12. And then it just repeats itself from a different perspective and gives you a little bit more information about it. But everything is right there because we are a forgetful people. We forget all the time. That's what the nation of Israel did. That was their problem. And that's what led them into huge trouble and why they went into captivity. And it's the same problem with us and why we end up in, in spiritual captivity in sin because we forget God. We forget what he's done for us. We forget how much he loves us. And I love this about God. He is very glad to remind us. It doesn't weary him at all. It doesn't weary God at all to remind you how much he actually cares about you. All right, so there's all that, and then this last point. This one about just, I, I don't know, I, 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 can't, I can't even put this one into words. So here's the blank on this one. Our beauty is almost too much for him to handle. I'm like, what? Like, I write this. I almost felt wrong writing this. Like, I did. Like, Jesus, Jesus, when he looks at me, my beauty to him is almost too much for him to handle. Okay, I see myself in the mirror every day, and I am not too much to handle. I know what I look like when I'm terrible. All right? so, But look at what it says here. Look at what it says in verse 5. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. What? Are you kidding me? Like, when he looks at you, he's like, I am so ravished by you that I need you just to turn away from me for a minute because I can't even take it. so here's the challenge today are you willing to believe the bible do you believe the bible because this is how he feels towards you like to the point where he's just like stop looking at me i'm just it's too much you're just too beautiful i can't even take it that's exactly what it says and that's exactly how he looks at you that is stinking amazing that is amazing that is a love that we have not tapped into we don't most of us think that God's love is conditional upon our obedience most of us think that God's fellowship is completely conditional upon us being like somebody else Mm -mm. he wants you and he is madly in love with you you don't even understand how much God loves you I mean you can start to understand it when you start meditating on like the gospel and, and the cross and how much you know he had to take in order to pay for your eternity and all that but like it's so much deeper than that you have no idea it is, un- it is unreal. I am convinced after seeing stuff like this because I don't understand this. Like, I just don't. I mean, I get it and I believe it, but I don't get it. <laughs> like, I just don't understand this. Then when I get to heaven one day and I see him face to face, I'm like, what I know now is going to be like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what is actually true. And I need to just believe what the Bible says because that's how he feels about me. And knowing that he loves me like that Man, how little I actually give him. How little of my heart I give him. How little of myself I give him. How how little I'm offering to him on a daily basis. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. So that's just amazing to me. And then you could read that in Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 9 and 2 verse 14. It's the same sort of stuff. But here, this is the strongest statement that I've found so far in the, in the book of Song of Solomon of how much he actually loves you and I. And so after looking at that Jesus definition of beautiful here's my question what is your standard for beauty is it the same as Jesus Christ's what is your standard for beauty because I think a lot of us when we think about success or being a good Christian we don't think about these things we don't think about being orderly magnificent active in the work of the Lord secure and prosperous and being fruitful we don't think about being able to have strength And being terrible towards others that we're intimidating when it comes to spiritual warfare. We don't think about being nourished and well-fed. We don't think about being healthy, fruitful, and orderly. We don't think about being spiritually focused, righteous, strong, and prosperous. We don't think about that as being beautiful. We think about that as being a good Christian, but when God looks at it, he says that is beautiful. That is beautiful. And when you do these things in your life, he looks at you and he can't even take it. He loves it. He loves it and then he says there are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number my dove mine devout is but one is but one I love how he says all of that all of that so there are many queens concubines and virgins but you are the one of a kind treasure that the Lord Jesus Christ desires you are the one of a kind treasure that the Lord Jesus Christ desires this world tells you to be like everybody else except for you it tells you to be like everyone else It tells you to do what everyone else is doing it tries to just it it tries to tell you it tries to define your identity that's what this world does but jesus christ is like no no i want you don't try to be like anybody else i want you i love you i died for you and that's something that he treasures and once again are you are you going to believe the bible because that's what it says that's what it says and it will cause you when you remember stuff like this it will cause you just to be, have a driving force in your heart and your life of diligence and faithfulness and loyalty in your life when you think about how much He cares about you and what He wants from you. You know, I think about that with my kids. Like, I know that as my kids get older and you know, thinking about even my kids going to public school and other things that they're going to be facing and you know, Megan and I were even talking about that because I just remember third grade was not an easy year for me in public school. Um, And then Megan's like, every year was not good for me (laughs) in public school. But I think about that with Lily, where she's going to be going to public school, and she's going to be starting third grade in public school. And I've I've been thinking about that, and it really, really scares me. But the one thing for me that I want to always encourage my daughter is that I want her to be herself, always. And, you know, there's going to be elements where she's going to want to be like other people, and I get it. It's part of human nature, but I I want to always encourage her to be herself because that is the person that Christ loves and cares for. It's not like you can make yourself better and then God will love you more. It doesn't work like that. He loves you how you are, how you were, and how you always will be, with or without the additions or subtractions that we think we need in our life. And so then 10, 11, 12, and 13 the bridegroom calls for his bride to return to him. So this is what he says. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley, and to see whither the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Or ever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Aminadab. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite? as it were the company of two armies. All right, so here's the point of these verses. We can break them down even farther, but I just wanted to package them all together. When you are faithful, that's your first one, when you are faithful and fruitful, when you are faithful and fruitful, Jesus Christ beholds you in awe with great admiration Desires to never stop looking at you, and to openly boast to everyone about you. Once again, this is going to challenge your beliefs. But when you are faithful and fruitful, he wants to look at you and to keep looking at you and to boast to everyone about you. That is what he. That's his heart. That's his heart's desire towards you, and that's exactly what he said. I mean, he's 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 looking at her with admiration. Who looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. And then he went down into the into the garden again, and then he says, Wherever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Aminadab, return, return, O Shulamite, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamites? He's talking to somebody else, as it were the company of two armies. See, God desires to put you on display. He desires to put you on display for the entire world and all creation to see. And one day that's going to happen. Because by the way, when he says, wherever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of minadab, that's a picture of a war. And there's coming a day where his bride is going to be married unto him, Revelation 19. And then after the marriage supper of the lamb, guess what happens next? The second coming, and we are coming with him. And we are going to fight with him to take over this planet. And we are going to be like the company of two armies taking over. And we are going to be fighting alongside of our husband, Jesus Christ, taking over what rightfully belongs to him. And it's absolutely amazing. And that's beautiful to him. Absolutely beautiful to him. And so we need to be faithful and fruitful. So I think that's the big challenge today. There's a lot here that we need to really take in faith and just trust that God knows what he's talking about. He's not lying. This is how he looks at you and I. And we need to start seeing ourselves the same way because we are very, very valuable to Him and He needs to be glorified in our life. And I think a lot of times we, as our own worst enemy, we get in our own way and God cannot be glorified when we get in our own way. All right, that's chapter 6. We'll do chapter 7 next week, chapter 8 the following week, and then we will be done with this book. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, help us to believe these things. I think that's probably the hardest part about this chapter is just believing it there's so many things there's so many things i wanted to get into so many details but you know i put all that stuff on the notes for everyone else to kind of take a look at this week but just absolutely amazing amazing things with some of these cross references and it just really makes everything really really rich so i pray god that you would help us to be obedient to you and not to obey you because we have to but because we want to and we want to because of how much you love us and how much you care for us And I'm sorry for not seeing myself properly um, the way that you see me. And I pray that we would just have a repentant heart attitude towards that issue. That we would surrender our will to yours and allow you to do with us whatever you want. And that we would no longer believe the lies that we constantly tell ourselves, or that this world tells us. But that we believe what you say, regardless of anybody else, regardless of any other consequences. Thank you, God, for your book. Thank you for always reminding us of the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.